Hi, this is the Kate Languages podcast. Welcome back. Uh, this is my third episode in which I'm talking to another human being and this is an Instagram live um, that I did last year with Dr Liam Printer um, who you might know from his own podcast The Motivated Classroom. Um, Liam is an expert on all things motivation in terms of language learning and teaching. Um, he's that, That's what he did his doctorate in um, and his podcast is absolutely brilliant. So to get into the nitty gritty of motivation, um, not just from an academic perspective, because he's a practicing teacher and he talks a lot about the kinds of things that he does in his own classroom um, to make his um, lessons more motivating. Um, and in the chat, he just gave so many good ideas and tips um, and some, you know, examples of things that he does um, in his own teaching. Um, so, yeah, hopefully you'll enjoy this as much as I did. Um, and, yeah, so we kind of <laughs> like jumped straight in. Um, so the chat begins with him asking a question that he's asked a lot because of his podcast and because of his area of expertise. Um, so I'll let him take over now. And this is the first question that we discussed. I suppose the most frequently asked questions in terms of like the podcast, and, and I guess it's quite common among everybody, is people asking about how do you motivate the demotivated? Like, you know, what do you do to try and motivate yeah. people who are really 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 demotivated um or like how do you even start or you know what do i do okay i'm trying to do the things you talk about in the podcast but you know what do i do with this one kid who is like just you know there, there's just no there's no getting them motivated so i guess like that's one of the most common ones and it's kind of a good one to start with because tomorrow's podcast episode that comes out tomorrow the yeah. one that tomorrow is about demotivation um and i think that really like i know it can it, it's kind of it, it, it kind of sounds obvious, but I feel like the most important thing is to just stay with those, the concepts of, you know, the basis of autonomy, competence and relatedness, like that every human being has those those psychological needs. And even if, if you are feeling like someone is really demotivated and they're just not engaged in the way that you want them to engage, the way that I would see it is just, if you were to do one thing, it's to go with the autonomy. So try and figure out ways to get there passions and interests and ownership and a bit of a, of directed learning from them into the class and then you might spark something small and then kind of go from there so I don't know would that is that kind of thing you would think of as well or would you have any other ideas about that do you know what it's so interesting and actually I've been I have been thinking about um that kind of thing yeah motivation and the and the sort of you know behavior management and that kind of element because I think they they go really really hand in hand don't they um, yeah. I think if someone's demotivated, then they're going to be misbehaving. Um, yeah. And funnily enough, <laughs> um, I have a, oh God, he's nearly 14 months now. I was, I was going to say like a one-year-old, but he's nearly 14 months now. Um, he's sort of turning into a toddler, definitely. So I've been like reading and listening to um, parenting books. And do you know what? There's so much advice for toddlers. I'm like, this could be really useful in the classroom as well. And do you know the thing? That, that comes up a lot is autonomy and even so even yeah. from like a really young age it's just a basic human need isn't yeah. it that that we yeah. need autonomy we need and even if like even if you don't really have it but to feel that yeah. you've got it i think that's the most yeah, important totally. thing to feel that you've got some control 
Yeah, totally. Like, I totally agree with you. And that's, um, and I think it's it, like the research is, is quite, you know, when I, when I did my first research study on, on motivation and language teaching and storytelling like three years ago, and, and I looked at my own class and it was like an action research project. And we, you know, I did interviews with them and stuff. And what I found at that one was I thought, oh, wow, the three needs of autonomy, competence, relatedness, they're really interlinked. They're really interweaved. Mm-hmm. And and, I, and that was kind of one of my conclusions that like they really impact upon each other. And, and there's lots of research that shows that. But actually in subsequent research and more stuff I read, uh, Kimberly Knowles, who's a, um, a researcher from Canada, and she does lots of stuff around language learning and self-determination theory. And she's one, she was one of the first who kind of really started to look at a motivational questionnaire and trying to gauge motivation for language learners. And she actually kind of concludes that she feels autonomy was like just a little level above everything else. That's and so I thought like yeah. kind of carefully, but yeah, it was, yeah. And, and I thought carefully about that. And and actually in my in my in my thesis, in my doctorate, the, the study that went on for a whole year, I think that that is actually it is the one that comes out. And it's what's interesting is that as teachers, we're actually pretty good at relatedness. You know, like we try yeah. really hard to build relationships, to be respectful, to be caring, we're really warm. I think we're really quite good at that one. But though, even though the research tells us that autonomy is so important, it's the one that our teacher beliefs kind of impact with. And they say, well, okay, I know autonomy is really important, but I think I should do it this way. And, and that's the one that we kind of constantly have to fight against. It's really interesting. Yeah, it is. And I was just thinking, okay, so, I mean, for me, like, you know, when I think of the most demotivated kid, it's going to be like a year nine boy, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, usually it's the boys who are, who are less motivated than the girls. But um, do you, I mean, what kind of ideas would you have? Like, what kind of things? So for them to feel autonomy so i mean i think also this is an issue for teachers as well is there's so much kind of imposed on you um and especially when it comes to the gcse and things like that as well and you know i mean i'm talking from a british perspective obviously but um yeah it's ali what what can you do to try and build basically the entire scheme of work has been imposed on the teacher so they they don't have a huge amount and i have to say i don't know um if anybody watching is experiencing this but i think with in britain now in some multi-academy trusts they're basically creating resources and i mean they're not saying like you you have to use them but i think it's Mm -hmm. getting to the point where it's almost a bit like quite prescriptive that actually the teachers are being told what they have to do so they're losing their autonomy and then obviously then that's then imposed on the kids yeah and totally. there's very little autonomy like there and I don't know what the yeah. solution is really yeah the solution is to change the whole thing <laughs> oh, well, I know, <laughs> but, uh, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely um no like honestly it's it's kind of it's so frustrating it's like that you know we there's a really famous Maya Angelou quote who I love Maya Angelou and her, her writings and stuff and one of the things that she says like it's, it's such a simple quote is like when we know better do better as in like when we have the research there that tells us all this stuff, we need to start putting it into place. And now is, you know, we're in 2021. It's just kind of not not good enough to kind of like, you know, know all this stuff about research and just not act upon it. And I'm not talking about the individual teacher because we have a lot of stuff pushed on us. Mm. I'm talking about from a school level, from a principal's level, from a curriculum developer's level, from, from th- that type of level. Like we know the importance of autonomy. And we can say that with a relative degree of certainty, but we still kind of go, actually, no, we're going to overly prescribe the curriculum. And I think mm. what you have to do in that situation when you feel like 
you are being told that you must kind of do it by this way and go into these boxes is you have to kind of play the game and, and, and you have to try and think, okay, if you're telling me that I have to teach these things and this is what's going to be on the exam, okay, fine. But I'm going to work backwards from the exam and think, how can I make that a little bit more interesting and more autonomous for the kids? So like a really good one is, you know, we all like pretty much every system in the world tells us that we must we must teach about food and drink. And, and that's fair enough. Look, it's, a, it's an important thing. You know, it's part of the culture. I'm not saying we should take that out. But if that's in every system in the world and, and there'll always be some kind of vocabulary that they need to know and they'll need to know a little bit about food and drink and maybe ordering in a restaurant or whatever. How can we work backwards from that and make it just much more interesting for the kids? And there's little things you can do. It's just like I'm doing it right now with my year nines, actually. We've just started this unit on on um, on food and drink. And we call it actually, I've renamed the unit instead of just being called like food and drink. I've called it like um, holidays full of problems. And and it's all about the problems you encounter in your holidays. Mm. So it's like talk. we start off by saying, you know, where have you been on holiday? Have you, have you gone on holiday abroad or have you just gone on holiday local? Or maybe during your school holidays, you work. Like, what do you do during your school holidays? Like we have holidays, but they're different for everyone else. What does it look like? And then we talk about that a little bit and what it is. And then we talk about problems. What kind of problems could we have? And, uh, you know, like you could fall and break your arm. You could, you know, like uh, get food poisoning, all these things. And we get a bit creative with that. We talk a little bit about that. And then we go into food and drink and we kind of say, well, what kind of problems could you come up against with food and drink? And then what we do is there's a, there's a I teach Spanish. And so there's a there's a guy called Senor Woolley. His name is Jim Woolridge. And he's got a website called Senor Woolley. And Senor Woolley has all these famous songs. Like they're amazing. They're Spanish songs. They're fantastic. The kids love them. I think it's, I think the price has gone up. It used to be 70 francs a year, $70 a year. I think it's maybe now 120. It's the best $120 ever. I use it in every class across definitely year eight, year nine, a bit of year 10, not so much in year 11. Um, and he's got a song called Que Asco, which means in Spanish, how disgusting. And the whole song is about a man who loves disgusting foods. And it's like really hard yeah. stuff. The kids love it. Like they think it's hilarious. It's like, chocolate with bits of gone off bacon in it and you know like this kind of stuff and you're like Ugh. and the kids are like oh my god it's so disgusting and then what they do is they come up with the most disgusting milkshake so instead of just they've got autonomy over it now it's like you got to create the most disgusting milkshake in the world what would be in it and they get to think about it and pull it together and instead of it just being a list of vocab they're now getting autonomous yeah. with it they're thinking about it they're presented to each other so it's for me it's about playing the game so i thinking what do i have to do and now how can I put an autonomous twist on that so that the kids have a bit of, or they, as you say, they feel like they've yeah. got more direct. Yeah. And surely they remember it better. Oh, yeah, like completely, totally. When you compare these milkshakes and we do it like kind of like a bracket, you know, we put, uh, you know, John's milkshake versus Maria's milkshake and then they vote who's more disgusting and then it goes through to the next rounds and it goes against you know um, you know Alice's milkshake against like Nora's milkshake and who's the most disgusting and we vote 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 <laughs> until you're in the final and of course they're getting the vocab each time from each one and as each round goes on they have to like you know give it a bit more detail they have to sell it to us they have to persuade us theirs is more disgusting and of course they're learning all this stuff like you know like all the words like you know chicken and milk and like you know all the different things they're learning chicken all and that milk together stuff oh, as well. honestly, some of the, the stuff is so <laughs> revolting but they love it like, they think that stuff is hilarious you know so yeah it just makes more difference
Yeah, that's brilliant. But you know, as you're saying this, I'm just thinking like, I wonder if a lot of people lack the imagination to come up with something like that. Like, even I'm saying, you know, saying I'm not like criticizing because I have never even thought about doing something like that. Like, it's such a good idea. And I just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think we do get really bogged down with what we have, what we're meant to be doing. And, and the sort of like, you know, I know you've talked about this on your podcast of just like, you just have this, this set sort of idea of like, this is how you're meant to teach stuff. Yeah. So yeah. this is how, you know, I have to teach a list of, of, like food and drink words and then yeah. we have to i don't know make a menu and pretend we're in a cafe like yeah <laughs> you know like having yeah, the imagination totally. i think is probably quite a difficult one i think i i totally agree with you and that takes time but actually i think like there's people watching this right now there's you know like a thousand listeners a week of the podcast and like they're all people who are engaged enough to go like all right i want some new ideas mm. and we get the ideas by talking to others and listening to others and having these conversations and they kind of spark something with us but also the students once they get a little bit of that you know co-creation going on their creative juices start to flow as well and they'll start to come out with some stuff you know like well what if we could could we try this? Could we make up a disgusting menu? Or could we make up a menu that, you know, costs a million dollars? What would be on that instead of like a normal menu? And and I think allowing their creative juices to flow, but it's almost like you need to spark that interest and it takes a little bit of time to, to try and build that up in them, a kind of a creative license. So they feel like, okay, this is a space where I can be a little bit silly and I can be a little bit creative and I can come up with some silly ideas because he's not going to like just you know, put them down, he's actually going to think they're funny and he's going to take them on. Um, and they kind of they kind of like going with that. And that's, I don't know if you, you listen to one of the podcast episodes, I talk about the three three items on a card. So you have a tiny little card, and this was, like, I get this from another teacher, um, a tiny little card, like the size of the palm of your hand, and I get the students, like on day one or day two, to draw an instrument, uh, an instrument, a hobby and an animal, but it could be a food as well. You could put a food on there and it doesn't have to be something they play. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a sport they play. It can just be mm. whatever that sparks their interest and they put their name and then you can use that later as kind of a spark of imagination. Like when I'm just kind of short of 10 minutes, I'm not really sure what to do or I'm not really sure what to plan for next lesson. I'll quickly grab one and just go like, oh, uh, you know, um, Abdullah really likes, uh, you know, he's really into table tennis. All right, let, let's have a conversation about table tennis. So when they come in, you know, then I'll have a quick look and just be like, so guys, yesterday I came across a table tennis table and I really want to play, but I'm really bad at it. Can anybody help me out? And then he'll be like, yeah, me. And we're like, oh, tell me, like how long have you been playing table tennis? And now he feels like he's part of it and you're talking about his. And then the key to it for me at this point is not just that the conversation, but to make it so important that the rest of the class have to write it down. So mm -hmm. he's he's saying like, Oh, yeah, I play table tennis. And he said, how long have you played for? Oh, I played for five years. Oh, and that's a hard construction in Spanish. Like he has played for five years. He's played for five years. Class, how long has he played for? Oh, he's played for five years. Okay, everyone, I think we need to make some notes about Abdullah. Five things about table tennis and Abdullah. And he feels really like, oh my God, the class are writing stuff about me. But of course, they're learning Spanish. You're giving them the input. They're learning about each other. And what happens when they walk out of the class someone else goes, hey, I also play table tennis. Do you want to play tomorrow? And then there's even more connections. Mm. So any way at all that we can bring their passions in. And uh, one person, like a couple of teachers have said to me, like, oh, that's fine, but I still have content to cover. And I'm like, I, I get it. I, yeah. I totally get it. I get that. 
But if you can create the space for that, it's not every lesson, but if you can create the space for those moments where they feel like their values and you're learning about them as humans, the kind of interest level goes way up, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that, that that autonomy aspect is just, it's so important yeah. and so important not to think that it's just choice. It's a lot more ownership and what they think and stuff. So yeah. But I don't know. I wonder if anyone who's, who's watching has got any questions. If you have, type them in, guys, and let us know. So yeah, I do. Um, so I again, as you as you were just talking then. So I'm seeing it, thinking a bit from a perspective that I see a lot at the moment. So I tutor um, teachers. So I'm I'm doing um, online courses with teachers, um, and I don't know if this happens where you are, but it seems to be happening more and more in Britain that languages teachers are teaching a language that they don't really speak. Yeah, that's, so, that's different. You know, so I've got beginners classes yeah, in, um, I've got, at the moment I've only got French and Spanish beginners and then I've got German improvers, French, Spanish and German improvers as well. Mm -hmm. um, but even, you know, the improvers level, I would say probably, I mean, some of them are around kind of GCSE level, some of them maybe a bit more, some of them even a bit less. So. You know, I'm just, I think maybe one of the problems for teachers is not their lack of imagination, but actually a lack of their own language skills. And I think, I mean, this is a real issue and it's a, it's a bit of a weird thing that you get in, in languages that you wouldn't have in like maths or something, you know, I mean, they all have to know all, all the bits of maths and they're not suddenly going to have to teach something different. Um, yeah, so to answer your question, Kate, honestly, that is a massive, massive issue. So when I think when we don't feel confident enough in the language we're teaching, it does absolutely impact the way that we can do things. Um, yeah. There, I don't know if there's an easy way to, to combat that, to be honest. Like, there's not really. Yeah. And of course, it's very difficult to try and allow students to be creative and autonomous if you yourself feel a little bit lower in your ability. Yeah. It's it's so true. And and I think the only thing is that we can do is just to keep trying to actively improve uh, our own language level by by doing what we can. And especially right now in, a, in, a, in, in the pandemic situation, we have to engage with things from, you know, using TV and Netflix and reading books and listening to podcasts and talking to people who speak the language like but but that is a very very natural natural thing to feel a little bit uneasy about it when it's not your native language and that's okay and um, but just to continuously and let the students know as well like let the students know that look you know I am a teacher of this language and I love it and but, but you know I haven't been in the country for a while or I haven't lived there for a while and like I might make some mistakes and please go with me in that and I'll do my very best. I'll look stuff up when I don't know it and try and let them know that. But, you know, you've, you're still a kind of an expert in the room compared to them. Um, yeah, so, if, you're, yeah. if you're an expert linguist as well, you and you yeah. know about language and how to learn language, that's your expertise yeah. as much as anything, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. So, I've, so there's a, a good comment here from Catherine. So if the teacher is teaching beginner students, TPRS can be a great way for teacher and student to progress together. So can you explain a bit about TPRS? Because I know that's something that you, yeah. that's one of your I can. things. Yeah, and this is something that's only just sparking a tiny bit of interest now in the UK and Ireland. And, mm. you know, I did my teacher training in Ireland and I never knew about it, never heard about it, didn't know what no, it was. Um, you know, and, and I only learned about it because it, it came from the United States. And so I worked in an American school and therefore some of the teachers were using it. And that's how I kind of learned about it. So 
TPRS, um, I've done a few podcast episodes on it, but to put it very basically, it's teaching proficiency with reading and storytelling. And all it is, is it's a co-creation of a story with your class. So it's, it's you're creating a story together with your class. Now, I don't know if Giacomo is still listening, but I wonder if he remembers stories from six years ago uh, when he was in, in, in my class. I don't know if you remember Huespeth, uh, Giacomo, and the story about Huespeth. Um, so this is a, it's something that we, we, we co-create. You, you have a spine of a story. You've got a skeleton of a story, okay. and you know, I want, I've got these three or four structures. So in a beginner story, you might have something like your structures might be goes to, wants, needs, and forgot, those four things. And you build a story about that. So there is a man, he uh, wants to uh, be a famous uh, ballerina. Um, so he needs to go to this famous ballerina school in Austria. Um, but he forgot, he forgot his ballerina shoes, so he couldn't do it. That's your story. Um, and, and again, you might be thinking, going, oh, how did you come up with that? But like I've read hundreds of TPRS stories. There's books you can buy um, okay. that are really yeah. cheap. And they've got loads of these stories in there. And, and I don't know how the people come up with these creative stories, but they're incredible. And essentially a TPRS story is like any story. There's a problem. There's a character with a problem. They go somewhere to get it achieved or, or, or fixed. It doesn't work. They go somewhere else. doesn't work. They go somewhere. It gets achieved or there's an outcome. And how would the, what makes it unique is that you have your spine, but the character's the details, like how long they were in a place or what the name of a place is or where they work, the kind of stuff that's not important for the storyline, they come up with all that stuff. So they feel like they're driving the story in their direction, but actually you're in control of the story. They're just giving you details. So my, for example, it might be, okay, class. So there was, there was a man, okay, and his name was, and they'll give you the name. So we go, and okay, and he was waiting for the train. Yeah. So how long was he waiting for the train? What do you think? Then go five minutes and then two minutes. And then someone will go six hours and go, yes, he was waiting six hours for the train. <laughs> and that idea has come from someone in the class. It's now yeah. part of our story. They feel like they contributed it and they're directing the story. But really, it doesn't really matter in your story if it was six hours or two weeks or five minutes. That's not part of the important stuff. The important stuff is he wanted to be a ballerina and he forgot his shoes. They're the two things that can't change. And so you go with the story, the story, you do it in small five minute spurts uh, where the students are giving you information, then they'll do something else with it, they'll draw it, they'll retell it to each other, they'll write it out, they'll invent questions, then later they'll read the text to each other, they'll, like there's loads of extension material on it. But at the end of two weeks or a couple of weeks usually it takes, they've invented and created their own class story and they feel ownership of it. They know it. They feel like they can retell it. They feel really competent. And one of the tasks I get them to do is to retell the story in their mother tongue to their family. And so like they'll, they'll tell the story first in Spanish and then they'll translate it into Dutch or Swahili or whatever it is they speak at home. And they get an amazing sense of accomplishment from that. And their parents write a little note to say, wow, he could do this whole story and then translate it into Dutch for me. You know, it's wow. really impressive. Yeah. And then they get this amazing feeling of pride from it. Uh, and they just love it because it's different. It's something totally different. And so they feel like that's one of the things they write in their feedback form. It just, it feels completely and utterly different mm -hmm. to everything else. And is this something that you do sort of, you know, like you do for a couple of weeks and then you might do something else. Like, you, you know, you've talked about the disgusting milkshakes and things like that. So it's not, because I think one of the things for me that sucks the enjoyment out of languages can be 
when you only do one thing like all the time so you know if you if you only if you always teach every single lesson in exactly the same way um a i don't know how you can like for me what what you're saying i think well you're going to remember food and drink really really well if you're talking about disgusting milkshakes and you're going to remember about i don't know time or something if you're talking about how long someone's waiting for a train you know what i mean like when you're so if if you're coming up with different ways of doing it but for me i just i don't know there's a bit of a i don't know if it's just easier for people but they'll literally be like right so we start off we've got this vocabulary and then we do this and then we do this and it's literally the same every time and i think if there's no variety that's going to be harder you know cognitively i think it's harder to differentiate in your mind like when did i learn this or when did i learn this because it's all it's all just like the same it's quite monotonous whereas if you've got a a big variety of really different things that you're doing um yeah i think it's easier to to actually retain it surely totally and and like that is you know you're not you know you're not just saying that that's actually borne out in the research right Mm -hmm. so there's there's a, a researcher in in um uh, I can't remember the name of the university, somewhere in the UK, Breckley or Berkeley or something like that. It's called in the UK. I can't remember. I'll find it. His name is Jean-Marc de Valle and uh, he works with um, a variety of different researchers on positive emotions in language learning. And one of the big findings that he has come out with, there's loads of research on negative emotions, but not much on positive <laughs> emotions. And his, uh, his research actually really interestingly finds that unpredictability is one of the most important aspects of positive emotions and therefore engagement and therefore motivation in language learning. So if you feel like you're not really sure what activity is coming next or what you're going to be asked to do or what's happening or what, what, what the next thing is going to be, this, this keeps your interest and the unpredictability element is massive. Uh, and that's why TPRS stories are so great because it has all these twists and they don't know what's going on. Now, it's really important like to not confuse classroom routines mm. and unpredictability. Classroom routines are really important for behavior. They're really important. So maybe students always line up and they come in and they sit down and they start their reading or whatever it may be. Those things are great. They work for classroom management. But what you want is unpredictability in your activities. They don't know, well, we're not going to always do a grammar worksheet. Maybe it's a reading. Maybe now we're doing a role play. Maybe now we're inventing a milkshake. Maybe now we're watching a video. But they don't really know what's coming next. And you're switching things up, as you say, frequently. And that keeps their interest. Do you know, this is so interesting because I think there is a misconception that because because kids like routine and they like to know what's happening and they like to know, you know, boundaries and things like that. I think I wonder if there is a bit of a misconception that if they always know that on the, in the lesson on a Tuesday, they're going to be doing reading and translation and maybe some writing. And then in, in the lesson on a Thursday, they're going to be doing speaking and listening. That that helps them but i'm just thinking from what you're saying actually that could be completely wrong and you're actually maybe making life a lot harder for yourself by you know you think that you've got these set things and it's like the kids always know exactly what they're going to be doing but maybe that's not the right thing no it's like there's there's a balance to be struck there's a balance to be struck you know it's not it's not you know, I have routines in my class, like, you know, the mm. first Monday, like, as in the first class of every week, but it's supposed to really happen every week, but most beginning of the first class of every week, they do this thing called, um, let's, it's, in Spanish, it's empecemos expertos, let's start experts. 
And what they just do, they have a Google Doc, and what they do for five minutes is as they work is collectively on the stuff that we did last week, and they look over things they wrote down, things they can remember, and they put them into the Google Doc. It's essentially a little bit of retrieval practice mm-hmm. on the first class. Now, they know that that's, going, that's how it's going to start, but they don't know what's happening for the rest of the class. They don't know or, well, what are we going to do next, you know, what's happening. So there's a balance to be struck there. There's the routines for behavior. Like today, I'll give you a brilliant example. Say I had, first of all, if people are listening to this and you're thinking, oh, like everything always goes great in Liam's class, isn't, you know, it's, I'm really not trying to be like that, I promise. I have really bad moments in my classes. I have moments where my kids are not motivated. I've done a PhD in motivation, but they're still not motivated sometimes. So trust me, like I'm not trying to speak to you at it from a pedestal at all. <laughs> I Today was a good moment though. Um, I have a, stu- a student was missing from their, write, their written assessment, uh, a year eight student. And so today he was there. Now this is a student who has special accommodations. He's got learning difficulties. So he's allowed to use a laptop with no spell check for doing his written assessments. And but of course, what that means is you need to survey that. You need to be able to see the laptop so that like you can see what's going on. And I knew like there's just no way with what I've got planned that I'm going to be able to check his laptop. And also he can't like write his written assessment while I'm teaching the class. He's going to be so confused about what's mm-hmm. going on. So I asked the principal, I was like, would you mind if he sat in your office um, and you can look at his laptop and he'll do his written assessment? And they said, yeah, no problem. So as the kids come into class, these are year eight. So they're age 11 or 12. And um, I, I walked out of the class with him. And so this is like a group of 25 uh, kind of 12 year olds um, who just come in. And I walked down to the principal's office uh, and I was talking through this guy. I was probably gone for about four minutes, I'd say, in total, which can be a long time in, in a for a group of year eights, right? And I walked back and as I was walking back I, in my head, I was going, oh, God, it's going to be like absolute carnage when I go in here. Like I walked in, all 25 of them were just in total silence reading their novels. And I was just like, and I said to them, I said, I walked in and went, I was like, thank you so much, guys. This is amazing. Like, I can't believe you're all just reading your novels. And they were all just looked at me like, well, yeah, that's how we start class. Like where we start with reading. And so like, I was just, I was oh, one of those moments where I was like, oh my gosh, like that was, I can't believe you did that. And I think that is because we'd set it up. They know they walk in, they get their novel, we start reading. So I guess what I'm trying to say is routines can be great for behavior management. Yeah. But unpredictability with your activities and where the activity is going to go is really important. So it's trying to get that balance right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's so good. Just um, about on the novels, is uh, was that in Spanish? Are they reading Spanish novels? Yeah, so? yeah. So basically, I've um, so I'm now in my my eighth year, believe it or not, teaching Spanish in Switzerland, um, and for the last six years in this school, and so. Every year we get a budget that we're allowed to use. And now because I don't use any textbooks um, and I don't use any materials like that, my budget always goes on novels. Like I spent every penny I've got on on these class novels. And it's taken me six years, but finally I've got a bit of a library going on. I've got about two or three copies of all these graded novels, you know, like ones that are written for beginners, intermediate, advanced. And there's loads of these for Spanish. There's a lot for French and there's a few for German. I was going to say, there's never as many for German. (laughs) Gradually getting there. But because a lot of these books come from the United States, they're from TPRS teachers, um, mainly they teach Spanish there. So there's a bigger collection for Spanish, but it's growing for French and German, it really is. Mm. And so every year I buy as much as my budget will let me. 
And now I've got a library. And so we've got a document where all the level one novels are. I've probably got 25 of these level one novels. They cost five five dollars each, so they're not really expensive. Um, and they're all at the back of my class. And when they've read one, um, they write a little comment about why they thought it was good or bad, and they give it a star rating. I don't correct that at all. It's just up to them. And then they go and get their next one. And, and we have like a wall where I put loads of like plastic sheets uh, like on the wall and they put their book in there and it's got a sticker on the front with their name. So they know when they walk into the class, they go get their book from the word wall or from the book wall and they sit down and they start reading. And we start with five minutes of reading. And it just, it calms the class down, yeah. but also they're getting all that comprehensive input by reading novels that are at their level. And then you start to see in their writing and their speaking, they start coming out with phrases and words that you've never taught them but they've come from these books, you know, and you're like, oh, this is really cool. And, and so this is the first year I've really put it into place and they call it free voluntary reading. So you're free to choose what you want. It's voluntary uh, and you read at the beginning of class. It happens for me. I, I meet my year eights. I have them three times a week. So twice for single and once for a double. And it happens at the beginning of the double and one single. The other one, it doesn't. We, go, we do something different to begin the class. Um, but I always like, after lunch when they're like super hyper that this is how we start class so yeah, that's brilliant yeah. yeah it's 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 honestly been a game changer like i like it's been a real game changer you know i i grew up in a house where reading was important and so i believe in it but also the research is really important around reading and that reading in a second language when it's at your level and when you can yeah. understand is really important um but seeing how much they understand now when we do a reading assessment because they've been doing this reading all year like some of them are on their like sixth novel and they're only they only started spanish in august wow. so like they're really like the competence that they feel in themselves they're going i've read six novels now of course their novels are like 25 pages long but like doesn't matter they think that i've read six novels so like you know they just have this amazing feeling of like i'm really good at spanish yeah. because they can read you know, so yeah, it's great. It's a great, I love it. And of course, for me as a teacher, class is completely quiet and I can just like think and what am I going to do next and what am I, but what I try to do is model. So I actually have, like, this comes back to our first question about teachers wanting to get better at their language. I have novels like as in, you know, native speaker novels that I'm, that I'm reading for my year 13s or whatever. And I'll sit and I'll read as well at the front of the class and I'll read and I might have to look up some words. And I'll be reading, but they see me modeling it. So it's not like I'm on my emails, like I'm, I'm modeling. And they, I think they value that a lot. They see, well, Mr. Printer's reading. So we, reading is obviously important. We should read too. Um, and I think that's been a great one this year. Yeah. You know, that's, as I was saying before, um, that's exactly what I've been reading in, in all the parenting books as well. Is, is You can't just tell kids like, oh, you, no, have totally. to, you, you have to do this. You can't do this, blah, 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 blah. If you're not modeling it yourself, like yeah. they'll be like yeah. well you're not doing it so why should i so yeah the, the mod modeling i think is amazing and also it means you get to read a bit of spanish which is nice yeah and yeah. that's it like i mean I, I genuinely am learning little words every day you know it might just yeah. be one or two words that i have to look up but you know little small words and like i'm writing them down and then i'll teach that to my year 13s so that it's kind of the retrieval practice for myself mm -hmm. like it's it's like if I teach this word to my year 13s, it's going to help me to remember it as well. Because, you know, look, I'm, you know, I'm not a native speaker, so I need to keep working on it too, you know? Yeah. And what you were saying as well about having a selection of books and the children can choose their own book, again, goes back to what we were saying about autonomy. You know, any time totally. you can offer them 
the chance to choose what they're doing. The, um, I did, uh, one of the authors that I, I use quite a lot in my class is an author called Adriana Ramirez, and she did an episode on the podcast yeah. with me. She, she's a good friend. She's a fantastic teacher, a Colombian teacher who works in, in Canada, and she's written a few novels uh, rich in, in cultural content about Colombia. Um, and my kids like her novels, but one of the, the great things that she said in the podcast was what she does is she essentially just has a shoebox uh, for level one, a shoebox for level two, a shoebox for level three. And so she's all her level one novels in one shoebox. And it's like that, she's like that feeling when they're allowed to move to the next shoebox because yeah. they've read like half of this one and you know their levels there. And then they go to get a book and you say, actually, you can open the next shoebox. They're like, oh my gosh, I've reached the next shoebox. And they get to it's open like it. It's like leveling up on a computer game, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And it's confidence. It's confidence, you know? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really powerful. I highly recommend every teacher who's listening to this to just gradually, year on year, buy a few of these, even if you can only afford in your budget to buy five or six a year, just gradually build it up. And over time, you'll eventually have a little library for yourself. Like most of the books, if you buy them now, they're still relevant in six or seven years. It's fine, you know. Do you know, I feel like this is one of these things that was more popular maybe when I was learning languages or, you know, sort of like in the 80s and 90s, I feel like this was something that people did and then people kind of moved away from it all. And then, I, yeah. you know, I mean, everything comes around in a circle in the end, doesn't yeah. it? Sort of, yeah. Like yeah. It, yeah, everything yeah. comes back. But I think, um, yeah, I feel like I we had them when I was at school. I don't know, but I don't, I don't yeah. remember that systematic, like sitting down and reading them. I think that is... It's really useful and important. So I'll tell you one of the, one of the things I found interesting is um, I, I work with a, a colleague who is who is a, a native speaker from Spain, um, and she has a few graded readers as well that she uses, um, and they're 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 leveled by the European framework A one A two B one B two, but when I look at an A one or an A two book, um, they're hard. They're not like they're not very comprehensible, actually. Mm. Um, for a native speaker, when you look at it, you probably think this is really easy language. But like easy language to me and you as English native speakers might be the word like, you know, buzzed or, you know, like he, uh, you know, he, yeah. like, I, he scratched his nose. To me and you, that's like a really basic sentence. But in level one English, scratched is not something that you right. know. Whereas the TPRS books that are in the most sense written by a lot of the time non-native speakers, but native speakers too, I feel the language is much more accessible and they're written in a way that repeats the sentences over and over again with the same structure. And personally, I just feel like they're much more comprehensible. The ones I've seen written from Spain, which are graded A1, A2, I, I genuinely like looking at the ones that are say A2 level, I'm like going, this is like, this would be tough for, you know, my year 11s, like in their third or fourth year to read. And like, I actually think that's the key thing is you want books that are, you know, your student is going to get to the end and, and understand the whole thing. Even if it's too, in your mind, you go, that's too simple. That's not the goal. The goal is for them to feel competent and they'll just learn a couple of new words from it. You know, it's not like they have to learn five words on every page. That's exhausting for your mind. You just want them to get a love for reading in Spanish. That's such a good point. And I think people might think, oh, I could just use children's books or something. And I'll never forget thinking, oh, maybe I could do something with like a Mr. Man book. Yeah. And then if you've ever looked, Mr. Man books in French are actually written, well, when I checked, 
one to try it. I was thinking that might be a fun thing to do. Uh, they're written in the past historic. Well, if you're going to do them yeah. with, you know, key stage three classes, they're like, yeah. they're not going to recognise the past historic. It's just not feasible. It's not written yeah. for learners. So yeah, it's yeah. written for French kids. Um, well, yeah, yeah. translated for French kids I guess so yeah. yeah I think even like children's books although do you know what saying that I had um in my the last school I taught at in the, in, with my tutor group we used to well I tried to implement like reading one tutor time a week um and a lot of them just never had a book and I had some French children's books that I brought into the class and, and they were doing French and they you know they weren't hugely motivated in French but they really loved like reading these little French yeah. children's books so I don't think yeah. I really understood them but, <coughs> but yeah. you know, they might have yeah. learned a few things from it so. Mm, graphic um graphic novels or like the the um comic book type things are mm. great as well um, yeah. And that's another thing that's like, you know, I'm kind of pushing this senior woolly side from the Spanish teachers who are listening, but it's honestly so good. Like he's just published all these um, graphic novels, these like comic books uh, on his website for free. Uh, well, I mean, as part of the subscription, yeah. you're going to have to pay extra. And and the kids can like follow along. They can click on the words that they don't know. And um, yeah, they're, they're really great. They're all linked to the songs that you've already done. It's very cleverly done. And um, if, 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 if there's Spanish teachers listening to this, just check out Senior Woolly. Uh, like, honestly, if, if you can get the $100 or whatever it is, maybe like £80 from your school to pay for a subscription for the year, it's so worth it. Um, and, and yeah, you, they'll learn so much. They'll have so much fun in class. There's loads of activities there. And um, yeah, just like that's, that's another one. The graphic novels are really good because there's so many pictures that they can really follow along with what's happening, you know? Um. Do you know, I, I had a question in my mind a little while ago, actually, when you were talking about these books and TPRS. Do you use these novels to for the TPRS stories and activities that question. you're doing? No, uh, usually not. Okay. No, they're separate. They come afterwards. Like, they'll, they'll still act out scenes and stuff like that, but yeah. they're, they're kind of separate. So okay. the TPRS story is, is something we co-create together, and then we'll read these books are kind of like a separate thing. But some of the, some of the books are, are, are just silly. Like, they're kind of silly little books, and, like, silly stuff happens. There's one we're about to read with my year nines now, and I thought about changing it a few times, and I talked to the other year nine teacher, and he was like, my kids love it because it's so silly. And I was like, yeah, why not? Let's just keep reading it. It is really silly. It's just called Los Baker van a Peru. So the bakers go to Peru. And like, it's a ridiculous kind of story about like, I'm um, going to Machu Picchu and all this kind of stuff happening. So there's cultural content, yeah, but yeah. it's a silly story. But the kids love it. Like, it's really silly. Like this guy who eats way too many donuts and he gets kind of sick and stuff. So that's like unrelated to our TPRS story, but we might mm -hmm. be talking about food and stuff like that and getting sick and, and that links in with my problems in the holidays. So I always, the way I do my units is I, I, I kind of read these books and, and like as a teacher, you can read these books in 20 minutes, half an hour um, and you can flick through them really quickly. And then I'll go, oh, this one's quite good actually. I like the storyline, like there's a little twist at the end and what's it about? And so there's one that I do in with my year nines, actually, we just did it this year, um, called Rival, and it's by an author called Mira Canyon. And hers, I love her books, and um, her books are, are very rich in cultural content. Um, but she, the Rival is about 
the the Middle Ages and um, the Muslims being in Spain and the war between the, the Christians and the Muslims. And there's a little Christian girl who meets a little Muslim boy and they become friends and she learns about all the, uh, the impact of Arabic on the Spanish language, uh, like the words algebra and ajedrez and all the azul all coming from, uh, from Arabic and that, you know, that we can live together in peace and they're all the things underneath it. But we will act out some of the battle scenes in that and the students will, you know, pretend they're the soldiers and, you know, they'll act out the scenes. So they love it. But they they, they learn a lot of historical content about, about Spain as well yeah. through books, which is great, you know. And you know what? So, again, because I teach to because uh, I choose teachers, um, I have a kind of an insight into the kind of thing that they want to learn. And actually, one of the things that, that, that quite a lot of them have said is that they need they they want to have more cultural knowledge. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So for me, just you know, just thinking as you're as you're saying that, that actually doing a book like that, like I wouldn't really know that kind of stuff. But yeah. if you work together with the students and you're teaching them a book like that, and you're you know you're going through this whole story, actually you're learning an awful lot as well. And and totally. it's like you don't have to be the cultural expert because no. the information is there for you, and you can just work through it with exactly. them. That's such yeah, a good absolutely. idea because I do think, like, you know, if you don't know about Spanish festivals and things like yeah, that, yeah, then... yeah. But that's another thing, though. Look, like, you know, I, so many people think like that festivals is culture and that's well, it yeah. like that's the end of it and like they are of course they're a big part of it I'm, I'm, I'm never gonna of course they are like I talk about Las Bayas and all the different things in Spain they're great Tomatina all this stuff mm. but there's so much more to culture than that yeah. like culture is yeah. music culture is culture is like beliefs culture is like traditions culture is families culture is things that happen at the, the dinner table and um, and you get a lot of that in these little books and again adriana ramirez like i've never lived in colombia i've never been to colombia and i say that to the students i'm like just because i teach spanish i've not been in all the spanish-speaking countries <laughs> and i've never been to colombia but we can learn a lot together about colombia and so she'll explain little words like that they might use for foods that i've never heard of and i'll say that i'll say wow i've I never I've used that word before because in Spain it's different. Mm. I've never seen that word before. And like we'll talk about that together. And then there's all the another book I use is um La Guerra Sucia, which means the dirty war, and it's about the disappeared in Argentina in the 70s. Again, I knew very little about this before I read this little book, and then we discovered it together. You know, we we, we worked on this together and, and we figured things out and we found resources together. And yeah, it's it's a great way to learn about the culture. And to go back to teacher motivation, I feel like that would be more motivating for a teacher as well, because you're learning something instead of teaching, you know, like we were saying, a vocabulary of food and drink for the hundredth time. Um, you're doing stuff where you're actually learning and improving your cultural knowledge. And yeah, um, for me, yeah, I feel like I would find that really interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Well, I'll do a little plug for and um, there's a web there's a there's a website called the CI Bookshop, so comprehensive input CI, yeah. the CI Bookshop. It's based in the Netherlands and um, run by a woman called Kirsten Plant, P L A N T E, and she has all of these books and they're shipped from Europe as opposed to being shipped from the United States or anywhere else. And um, so it's it's much better and um, you know less air miles and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and she the prices are great and she's great. And if there's one she doesn't have, she'll look up. But if you go on to the CI bookshop and you can just see all the different languages, the different books, the themes and what they talk about. Like and even like, 
you know, Adriana Ramirez has a beautiful book um, about, you know, a boy coming out as gay in, in, as the age 14. And like we read that together and, you know, it's, it's great, you know, like allows them to see like people like them in the books, you know, and, and, and it's quite nice. You know? And that is so important. And that's something that you wouldn't normally cover in a, you know, no. like traditional um, Key Stage 3 or GCSE curriculum. But yeah. yeah, like you're saying, it might make at least one person in that class feel seen mm. and feel like, totally. you know, their own story is important. And that's, yeah. I think, I think that's an important part of languages as well. It's, it's a sort of a window on, into the world, isn't it? It's not just like you've got to learn these words and this grammar. Yeah. There's so much more to it than that. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, as we're coming to the end of this hour, like, I'm, I like, it's a great way to kind of finish on is that language teaching you know I, I i think sometimes feel like i overstretch with this but i i do believe it that it is it is a vehicle of social justice like you we can in our classes we have the autonomy to essentially talk about anything mm. as long as it's in the language so you can talk about black rights and you can talk about you know uh, equality and you can talk about the fact that you know, um, like it's only been legal to marry as a gay person in this country in this time. You can do all that as long as it's in the in the language, and you can raise social justice issues all the time uh, in your language class, even and still meet your recommendations of talking about the things you need to do for the exams. But we we have a role, and then there's the bigger role that if more students are learning the language. And if they are going out and they know about these people who speak it and they don't look at them as people who are different anymore, they just look at them as other yeah. people who speak another language, well, then they're opening their arms to culture and, and that, that's reducing discrimination. So we have a big role to play in social justice, you know, and, and I, I mean, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I didn't believe that. So, No, yeah. I totally agree. And I think one of the most important things about learning a language is realizing that just because people don't speak your language doesn't mean that they're stupid it just means they speak absolutely. another language and absolutely you know just because someone speaks with a foreign accent doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them in fact it means they're trying because they're speaking yeah. a, you know a language that's not their their native language and or i can't, i think i saw someone add on a t-shirt like something like uh, i don't have an accent i'm bilingual you know, and it's just like, I mean, it's a brilliant way to put it. It's like, if you laugh at someone's accent, actually, they're bilingual. They're yeah. speaking two languages, you yeah. know. So, like, yeah, it's a, it's a great way to look at it. And they're brave enough to be speaking in their second language, which, you know, a lot Absolutely. of people aren't. So there is a really interesting comment here, but I think probably this could be a, a completely like a whole more a new conversation i want to start teaching i think uh, tprs but the school i'm in now behavior is challenging not sure if yeah. it will work and i do i do wonder if yeah if there's behavior issues and also again if there's pushback from either if you're not head of department there's pushback from your head of department or senior management or something like that like i can imagine having worked in a few english schools like people would be a bit funny about it i almost wonder if you just need to like give it a go and you know prove um, <laughs> prove that it, it might it, work from, from what you're saying it is so motivating because they feel autonomy i mean you know behavior might be difficult for a million reasons but if students are feeling 
lack of autonomy, demotivated, if they're feeling like, oh God, I'm going to go into my French lesson and I know it's going to just be the same thing, it's just boring, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then you introduce them to this completely new, slightly different thing. Yeah. It could improve behavior, you never know. Absolutely. It, it takes, it is, it, honestly though, that like that person is right, like as in when you start teaching with the TPRS story and you're giving some control over to the students and driving stuff, it can be quite scary and it is quite different. And, and if you don't have the right relationship with your kids, it can, it can be a little bit scary, you know, because suddenly your room is full of energy and there's mm -hmm. lots of people giving ideas and that can feel a bit nerve wracking as the teacher. And, and the research would show us this, that we need, we need support from our colleagues um, when we're doing this, but also don't be afraid to talk to the students like, like, like adults, you know, like, like, like people and say, look, I'm going to try this new thing. I've not done it before. I want you to go with me. Like this is new for both of us. I'm going to give it my best shot. I think I've got it right and I know it's going to work. I've looked at loads of videos, but I need your kind of help. You know, are you willing to help me out with this? And they'll be like, okay, right, let's give this a shot together and they'll try with you. And if you're struggling with the behavior thing, I, I genuinely like, look, listen back on, on podcast episode number two, I think it is, which is the first class of the year, the class constitution. Yeah. And it's all about building respect for each other in the room. And once you have that, feeling of respect among each other then you can start some of these new activities that are a little bit different um but yeah sometimes you have to give it a try but, but really do if you have a colleague who's willing to try it with you and you can support each other through it that makes that a big difference and you're not like off and running you know yeah um yeah and in terms of the the class and everything like that so um my, when i did my ma my tutor was altan dornier which was amazing and um he he wrote a book on group dynamics in the language classroom um and he's there's actually got like well, i don't know if it's out of print because i'm always recommending it to people and then i check on amazon it's like 35 quid or something crazy and it's a really thin book but um yeah he he talks a lot about sort of building a good group dynamic and the types of activities mm. and things that you can do like a, you know something simple like a find someone who activity so they're happy yeah, to totally. actually communicate and um, connect with each other and yeah. um, and do you know what he was amazing as a tutor he did that in every single one of our seminars um, yeah. he mod again modeling the yeah. really good way of doing it and actually um, yeah I often like try to think of that and Especially, I mean, you know, I keep going on about my teachers' courses, but these are complete strangers. They're, you know, they're all adults. And yeah, they might be teachers, but they're still a bit like, you know, it's probably even worse if you already speak two or three languages fluently and then you're like, oh, I've got to learn this new one now. And it's you know, a bit scary. Um, and I always try to come up with, you know, like, yeah, icebreaker type activities, basically, to try and, try and get a good group dynamic so that people don't feel, because languages are scary as well yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's scary no, honestly, speaking a foreign language building building those relationships is just is just absolutely key yeah. especially when you're going to put yourself in a transition and try something new that you've never tried before and and willing to fail at that thing and honestly when i first started teaching with storytelling there was a number of classes where you know i walked out with my head in my hands going like oh my god that was a disaster like the kids thought i was crazy like what on earth <laughs> i couldn't get the story right i looked like such an idiot i was sweating and but it just takes time. And honestly, if you just, if you ask the kids to go with you on the journey, like, I think that's the best idea. Like, say to them, this is new. Like, I'm going to try it. I think it's going to work. And I've got it right, right in my head, but I'm going to need your help. Like, you need to participate and help me with this. And I promise you're going to learn loads of French or loads of Spanish. They'll, they'll buy into that, you know. 
Um, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's 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 invigorating and it's kind of liberating to try and do something new, but it's also scary. And having a colleague who's willing to try it out with you is really important be, because yeah. you can you can really support each other, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I mean, you know, I think that the the last school I worked in, I they were quite prescriptive about what we did every lesson. And I do wonder whether it, it you know, I would have had any kind of autonomy to do something like that there. But you just don't know, like, you know, if you say, look, I've heard this really cool thing. I really want to give it a go. Maybe do it with year seven. So people think it's maybe not yeah. as, you know, like, I don't know, too high yeah. risk. Like obviously not with year 11, just before they're doing their exams. Yeah. Um, and probably not when you're being observed and probably not when Ofsted are no. around for the first no, no, the no. first time you're doing yeah. it. You know, Pride and, and safe. Nice I would say like, a, yeah, lovely, yeah. like enthusiastic little year seven class or a nice little yeah. small year nine class or something like that. And um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just call it It's really liberating just just to, to try something new and like and, and if it doesn't go that well the first time, try something out, try it again. But also I think my last piece of advice before we kind of end on this would be if you're thinking like I might try these stories out, I recommend look up movie talk and picture talk. Um and they I've done a, a podcast episode about that because they're like they're comprehensible input techniques that lots of us do already, actually, in different ways. Um, but they 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 kind of lay the groundwork for what it means to teach with comprehensible input, to give loads of rich input and quite compelling stuff and to play around with the characters on the video or the characters and give them names and invent a little story from just a picture. And that can be a really first nice step into it because jumping into a TPRS story completely cold and you've never done it before, I, I, I definitely recommend to start with picture talk, movie talk, get comfortable with doing that a couple of times and then say, okay, class, now we're going to try one of these stories and then go from there. So, yeah. Do you know what, Liam? I could literally carry on talking to you like all evening, but um, <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, I, will, I will let you go. I'm, is it? Is you're in Switzerland, aren't you? So it's probably yeah, like an probably hour later. Yeah, about ten. So yeah, I, I'm I'm up at half six in the morning because I'm cycling to work. So I need to I need to try and get some sleep. So uh, it was lovely chatting to you, Kate. Thanks very so, much. Yeah, it was brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. All so right. Much. Thanks very much. Good night. Bye. So I hope you enjoyed that chat as much as I did. Um, it was so great to talk to Liam um, and it's been great to listen back to it again and uh, be reminded of some of the brilliant tips and ideas that he came up with. I still think about the uh, disgusting food one quite a lot and I just think it's just it's just great to, to hear someone with such good imagination and how he's putting that across in his teaching and with his classes so as I mentioned at the beginning his podcast is The Motivated Classroom and I'll put a link to that in the show notes for you and yeah get in touch let me know what you thought of this episode I'm at Kate Languages on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook um, or you can email kate at katelanguages.co.uk um, if you're enjoying all this free content of my podcast and you would like to support me uh, by giving me a couple of quid, then you can head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Kate Languages to buy me a coffee. If not, that's absolutely fine. But another way you can support me is to subscribe, rate and review the podcast, tell other people about the podcast, uh, share my posts on Instagram, Facebook, etc. And just to let other people know that these are out there and that hopefully they're really useful and helpful for the people as well. 
Um, so yeah, until next week. Bye. Au revoir. Adios. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>